before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview of the latest edition of The Endgame, featuring Bill Fleckenstein and our very special guest, geopolitical strategist Peter Zion, the author of three superb books on the world's geopolitical landscape, The Absent Superpower, The Accidental Superpower, and Disunited Nations. In this conversation, Peter takes us around the world, highlighting the many geopolitical stress points that he sees and offering a series of assessments, many of which caught both Bill and I completely off guard. The widely understood narrative around many bilateral relationships between nations is absolutely not the reality, as Peter so deftly illustrates. From China, the US and Taiwan, to Europe, the Middle East and Russia, Peter explains the realities which both motivate and constrain power-hungry governments and explains how the recent conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan has changed the face of warfare forever. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So... If you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Um, it's great to see you. It's been it's been way too long. Um, there's so much I want to talk with you about today. Uh, the world is is fracturing before our eyes but but where i want to start is the post Bretton woods era of globalization which seems to be fraying at the edges or possibly even reversing given america's withdrawal or perhaps more accurately let's call it its turn inwards can you talk a little about the quid pro quos that led to the globalization phenomenon and what the latest moves mean for both the china u.s relationship and the kind of broader global order. So we came up with free trade and globalization. Uh, the idea that the American Navy would patrol the oceans for everyone so that anyone could go anywhere at any time and interact with any partner in any supply chain uh, and export goods for hard currency. We, we bribed up an alliance. We paid people to be on our side. And it worked. And then the war ended in 1989. And we never updated our strategy. So globalization has kind of been on autopilot for these past 30 years. And the Americans have lost interest. The strategic environment that gave birth to it is gone. And we've now elected three populist leaders in a row that have absolutely no interest in anything international unless it's bringing jobs back. Uh, Biden is saying a lot of the right things for globalists, but he says he wants to do everything with no money and no troops, which is, you know, not how maintaining the global system works. Uh, so that's kind of piece one. The Americans are done. We've already withdrawn our troops. We don't have the capacity to patrol the oceans anymore. Peace two comes from peace one, because when you inject global peace into the system and allow everyone to trade, incomes rise. And when incomes rise, people move off the farm and into cities. And when they do that, they stop having kids. 
and you do that for 70 years and you have birth rate collapses in not just the rich world, but in the developing world as well. The first half of this decade was always going to be the decade that the developing world writ large aged into mass retirement. And it was, the second half of this decade was always going to be the decade when the developing world ages out of having sufficient young people to work and consume. So this was always the last decade uh, of this system, regardless of what the United States did. And then coronavirus came along and just said, you know what, it's actually going to be this year. So we're past peak consumption. We are past peak investment. We are past peak production. Most of the world will never go back to where we were in January of last year. Yeah. The question is, how do we manage this transition from what we've all known our entire professional lives to this terrifying, new, amorphous, deglobalized world where no one's holding up the ceiling? And that's where I make my living. Right, right, exactly. You know, it's interesting, this 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 idea of, COVID as an accelerant is, is um, I think, an important one because it came along kind of out of nowhere and everyone has been blaming it for just about everything rather than acknowledging the fact that these demographic issues have been on the wall for you know, decades now and you could see this coming and COVID has accelerated that. Yeah, and it really depends upon which country you look at. So, for example, if you're looking at um, kind of tier one countries, uh, Korea, Japan, Germany, Italy, you know, they passed the no point of no return in their demographics in the late 80s. Hmm. And so we've just been waiting for the end, and now the end is here. And the second tier countries, uh, Canada has kind of pushed things off with mass immigration, um, Spain with mass immigration, uh, the Brits with mass immigration. You can kind of see a common theme here. Uh, they've got at least another 10 or 15 years, but they're on the same trajectory. And then the tier three countries, the United States, Mexico, uh, we've managed to keep our birth rates up. So we get this split in the world where the populations that are more sustainable, where reproduction is still possible, uh, kind of lurch into this new world with a lot of the tools of the old. Uh, for them, reinventing the wheel is not necessary to be done right now. And the tier three countries can look at the tier one countries and watch how they grapple with the changes and hopefully learn a few things. Yeah, it, it's uh, that, that that idea of of watching and trying to learn things. Obviously, along with all everything that you've talked about, there has been this tremendous stability. You know, there there have been wars in the Middle East almost continuously, but there's just been this kind of stability to the world that's only really being shown for what it was now as we start to get instability rising everywhere. So just talk a little bit about that stability, how it started to fray, and, and where perhaps the most dangerous frayings are occurring. Well, if you look at a map of the world, um, the East Asian rim from the Japanese, um, from the Sea of Japan going down roughly to the Southern Philippines, you know, so you're picking up the, knife, the Northeast Asian four, Japan, Korea, uh, Taiwan, China, uh, the Persian Gulf, of course, and then a belt in Central Europe uh, from Scandinavia and, and Moscow straight down to uh, Turkey. Those three zones, uh, historically speaking, have been the most violent areas of the world uh, since the beginning of recorded history. Uh, just a quirk of geography, this is where the world's major cultural and economic regions kind of come together and clash. What the global order under American leadership did is stop that. We, we forced everyone to be on the same side. And so for 70 years, we have not had the clash of civilizations. 
Instead, we've had global growth and integration, which, you know, if you wanted to integrate before 1945, it meant some European or Japanese uh, dude came over and conquered your country and forcibly assimilated you into whatever they wanted. That's what integration used to look like. That's not what it is today. I mean, we've got container ships that have, what, 15,000 containers on them now with products from every country in the world and going to every country in the world. We, we've never been this linked, but that requires stability. And the first time a civilian ship, for whatever reason, is you know, challenged by a state navy, that's it. It's over. I mean, you, you raise the marginal cost of transport by like 1%, half of the world's supply chains are no longer viable. So we really are talking a breakdown of everything we know about how we build stuff, how we develop things, how we move things from A to B. It's all interconnected and it's all incredibly fragile. And without the Americans, none of it is possible. Peter, may I ask what you would assign the probability of, you know, some state actor, you know, taking on one of these cargo ships? I mean, is that something that could happen at any moment or would there be a decent lead up to it? Or I never even thought about that other than around uh, what's the name of that place? Djibouti, you know, where all that stuff goes on. That's the only place that's the only place I've ever seen any of that actions. I had kind of put it out of my mind until you just mentioned it. So. Well, it's kind of like, let's assume you're in a car wreck that involves a train and a cliff. You know, what, which one actually kills you? Uh, <laughs> there are any number of ways that this can all go to hell overnight. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would say the, yeah. the type of ship that is most likely to hit would probably be an oil tanker. Because uh, that's where the most immediate vulnerability is. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. You interrupt the flow of energy anywhere for any reason, a really bad hurricane, uh, the Russians move on eastern Ukraine, the Chinese and the Japanese escalate from just yelling at each other to actually you know, pointing some guns at each other and somebody pulls the trigger accidentally. Anything that does any of this, energy prices will at least double in a very short period of time. And when that happens, you got these giant tankers carrying a million plus barrels of crude sailing along at a, a measly 11 knots. Uh. Um, countries will act in their own self-interest. And oil is the product that is transport, transported the furthest on average of anything else. And of course, once one of those goes down, the energy markets go down. And you can imagine what that's going to do to everything else. You know? uh. Oil is not just a fuel. It's a fertilizer. It's what we use to make plastics and pretty much everything that you can probably touch in your room right now. Uh, without it, everything stops. And that's just... That's just one bullet. That's just the cliff. <laughs> you've got the train and you've got the other cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Peter, I, I want to come back to oil in a little bit because uh, when, when we get around to discussing China in more detail and particularly the chapter on China in, in your book, Disunited Nations, which I will plug for you because if anybody listening hasn't read that, it's, it's just a fantastic piece of work. But let's, let's start with obviously the big one that's on everybody's mind and that's the US and China. The, the escalation so far how you look at it going forward and if we can understand the role that Taiwan might play in this because I think that at the moment is looking more and more like the kind of key piece on the board. Sure. Uh, I mean, the relationship is in free fall right now and I don't mean to blame Biden or even Xi for that. That This is something that's been coming for a while. Uh, Obama and Trump did the relationship no favors either. Now, that's not me saying that, you know, if we, only we had better leadership in the United States, things would be different, although that would be nice. Uh, what, what I mean by that is this is structural. The Chinese system is utterly dependent upon the global order in its current form as patrolled and maintained by the Americans. 
So if the Americans really want to destroy China, all they really need to do is go home. Geography will take care of the rest. But a few basic things. Number one, full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website grant-williams.com nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice this conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only so while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets